It is an honor to uh, be here this morning. It is an honor to uh, bring the word of the Lord, and I'm grateful to be here. Uh, we are continuing uh, our journey through the Gospel of Luke, and we've been going through this uh, for the past um, several months, uh, taking a look at the person of Jesus. So if you would, in your copies of God's Word, uh, find Luke chapter 3. And as you're turning there, uh, I want you to think about something for a second. Have you ever grew up wondering or ever had a moment where you kind of asked yourself, what's, what's the point of this, right? Not necessarily like related to church, but kind of, you know, when you're in school and you're learning about stuff and you're kind of like, when in the world am I ever going to know this? Which, by the way, to the children and students in this room, school is very important and you should learn all the things that you're being taught. But I can count on one finger the number of times the Pythagorean theorem has been useful to me and still have a finger left over. I, I spent a considerable amount of time learning the quadratic formula, and it has not been as useful to me as I thought. Uh, the most difficult math I do on a weekly basis is trying to figure out how much pizza a fifth grader will eat, which, by the way, the answer to that is a lot. Uh, they, they will eat a lot of pizza. Um, but that's not to discount the engineers and people in this room where that stuff is useful. Um, but why do we learn the things that we do? Why do we do the things that we do? What's the point of all this? What's the point of church? Why, why was it that last week we had to wake up when it was minus 25 outside and drive to church? What's the point of that? Why is that important? And we're going to answer those questions today. This morning, we're going to take a look at someone who knew exactly what his purpose was and why he did the things that he did. So I hope you all have found Luke chapter 3 in your Bibles. Uh, please take a look at verses uh, 15 through 22. That's where we'll be this morning. And what I hope to show you is the way that John the Baptist pointed to Jesus. John's whole life was wrapped up in making himself as insignificant as he possibly could. In John chapter 3, verse 30, John the Baptist says, he, talking about Jesus, must increase, and I must decrease. He knew that his life was built on nothing other than giving Jesus the spotlight and then exiting stage left. And to a degree, this should be all of us. The reason why you're here, the reason why you exist, the reason why the Lord created you is to give glory to him in every way and make him known to everyone. And so what I hope to show you today is that your life is all about Jesus. Jesus is the point of your life. And that pointing to Jesus comes with a cost and it also comes with a confirmation. And there's, uh, there's a fair bit, there's a fair amount of, of teaching in this passage. So there's going to be some times where we kind of take some detours, where we explain some things. But it's all related to pointing to Jesus. So we're picking up here kind of in the middle of a narrative. Uh, Pastor Derek last week had kind of explained uh, the verses prior to this. Uh, but John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus. He's preaching repentance and returning to God. 
And in the last section, there's some interaction between him and the people, right? He's proclaiming the good news. He's preparing the way. And the people say, hey, John, what are we supposed to be doing? What do we do with this? And so he gives them a list of things that they should be doing. And as they're listening to him proclaim this good news, they kind of like nudge the person next to him, right? And whisper and say, do you, do you think this is the guy? Do you think this is the one that we've been waiting for, right? Maybe this is the Messiah, right? He checks a lot of the boxes. Maybe it is. Maybe this is the guy. Take a look at verse 15. As the people were in expectation and all were questioned in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, right? They heard the prophecies and they see John beginning to minister and, and they start to wonder themselves, hey, maybe this is him. Maybe this is the Christ, Right? And part of me kind of wonders, like, maybe John kind of felt tempted to call an audible and say, yeah, it's me. I'm the guy. Right? He could have capitalized on fame, fortune. Maybe he could have had a yearly parade in his honor. He probably could have sold mugs, bobbleheads, and mouse pads with his picture on it that says, I'm the guy. Right? But he doesn't. He does not miss a beat. He does not hesitate and does not waste an opportunity to point to Jesus. He says, don't look at me. I'm not who you're looking for. Look at Jesus. Take a look at verse 16. He sets the record straight for the people. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John says, hey, I'm only baptizing you with water, but there's someone much greater than me who is coming to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Not only is this person greater than John, stronger than John, but he brings a better baptism than John. And we'll get into this in just a little bit. But John goes as far as to say that the person who is coming after him is so much greater than he is that John isn't even unworthy to untie his sandal. And you've probably heard this in Sunday school. You may have heard sermons about this before, but it's worth noting that most people in this day and age either walked around barefoot or they walked around with uh, not great sandals, right? They didn't have Nike and, uh, and Gucci uh, sandals available in Gucci, right? Uh, in the first century. <laughs> Does Gucci make sandals? I don't know. But it's important to note that the roads also were not the way that they are today. They were not paved. They did not have sidewalks. They didn't have separate lanes for animals. And so people who were walking around barefoot and, and not great made sandals were walking on the same road as animals. And so as you can imagine, that would lead people to uh, walk on dirt, mud, rocks, and even animal droppings. And it's an understatement to say that people in the first century had some seriously funky feet. The task of removing the sandal off someone's foot was reserved for the servant who was the lowest of the low. This was such a degrading task that a Hebrew slave would not even consider doing this. And think about what John says here. With all that in mind, he says, Jesus is so great, so awesome, so powerful that I'm not unworthy to untie his sandals. When he compares himself to Jesus, he says, Jesus is so amazing that untying his sandal and touching his nasty feet would be an honor. It would be an honor. 
Not only is Jesus greater in every way, but Jesus will also bring a better baptism. And so this is where our first detour is. We have to kind of explain, what is this baptism that Jesus brings? What is he talking about here when he says, I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit? So what is baptism of the Holy Spirit, and why is it so much better than the baptism that John was bringing? Well, there are differing opinions on this, right? Uh, Scholars are divided on this issue, and some denominations hold uh, to different views on this. And if you've experienced maybe a more charismatic or Pentecostal background, uh, you may have heard that baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that a believer experiences after they have trusted in Jesus, right? And uh, it's, it's kind of a sign or confirmation that that trust is true. It's something that happens after they've trusted, and okay, okay, now we know for a fact that you've actually trusted in Jesus. And usually it is accompanied with uh, signs like speaking in tongues, But here in the Baptist tradition, we don't really hold to that, and there's good reason why we don't. So really quickly, uh, we're going to kind of jump around a little bit here in Scripture, but you can keep your place in Luke chapter 3, and if you would, please flip over to Acts chapter 1, just a couple books to your right. Uh, And if you don't feel like flipping there, the words will be behind me on the screen. So really quickly, turn over to Acts chapter 1. Acts, we believe, is written by Luke, right? The same author as uh, the gospel that we're studying. It's the second part to his gospel. And actually, most scholars believe that when he originally wrote Luke and Acts, it was one work. It was supposed to be Luke-Acts, not Luke and Acts. And so uh, Acts can be helpful when we're trying to answer questions we have about Luke. So if you would take a look at Acts 1, verses 4 and 5. And while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So while Jesus was with the disciples, right, he was uh, on earth for 40 days after his resurrection, before he ascended into heaven, and Jesus tells the disciples uh, to wait in Jerusalem. Why? So that the fulfillment of the text can come. So that uh, the Holy Spirit, the the gift that Jesus promised all the way back in John 14 through 16 can happen. And Jesus here even cites Luke 3. John baptized you with water, but now you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so the disciples are waiting in Jerusalem, right? They're praying for the gift of the Holy Spirit. They're waiting in anticipation really quickly, maybe turn one page to Acts chapter 2 and look at verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So this was the moment, right, where it finally happened. The disciples had become indwelt with the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus had promised. This is, this is what he said was going to happen. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And suddenly from this moment in Acts forward in the book, there is a very noticeable change in all of the disciples, specifically Peter. Right? They were no longer bumbling followers who were in the dark. Before they struggled, they never understood Jesus' teaching. They, as I've heard Pastor Derek say multiple times, they didn't know Kamir from Sikkim. 
right? I don't really know what that means, but it really sounds good here. But here they were empowered. They had boldness. The gospel was central to everything in their lives. There was a very discernible change in the disciples from this moment forward. And Paul even tells us in Ephesians 1 that when we believe, we are given the Holy Spirit as a seal, as a promise. So we believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at the moment of our belief, that we are given the Holy Spirit at the moment when we trust in Jesus. So let's go back to, to Luke chapter 3. We'll be there for a majority of the sermon. And here's what John is telling us. I'm just baptizing you with water. This is just a symbol. It's a sign of things to come. This is you showing you separating yourself from the other people, the believers from the non-believers, those who are aligned with God and those who are not aligned with God. But Jesus is the one who is going to bring something so much greater. He is going to bring true and real change by way of the Holy Spirit. The baptism waters that sit behind me, they do nothing. There's nothing special about them. There's nothing magical or mystical about them. The baptism waters that John was baptizing in, there's nothing magical or mystical about them. They don't save you. They don't change you. They don't make you holy. Jesus is the one that can bring about real change. Jesus is the one that gives you the Holy Spirit that starts this real change. And because of that, because of Jesus being so great and, and everything that we know about Jesus, our lives should point to him in every single way. We should constantly be pointing other people to Jesus. But when we do that, it comes with a cost and it comes with a confirmation. So let's take a look at the cost. Point number one. Pointing to Jesus comes with a cost. Take a look at verse 17 in Luke chapter 3. His winnowing fork is in hand. He's talking about Jesus here. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but to the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. John gives us this picture of Jesus coming to separate. The process of winnowing is actually kind of amazing, and I was able to do some research on it uh, as I was preparing this sermon. And, and because of Google, I basically feel like an expert uh, on the process. But it's pretty amazing how they do it, right? They take the wheat and the chaff, and, and sometimes they'll just kind of lightly toss it in the air, and the wind will take the chaff away, or sometimes they'll get a fan, and that'll blow it away, or they'll take a big old uh, fork, and they'll throw it up in the air, and then the chaff will go away, and the wheat will fall to the ground. But it's the process to separate what you want from what you don't want. And in this case, in this context, Jesus has come to separate the wheat from the good stuff, the, the wheat, the good stuff from the chaff, the not good stuff. And in this context, John's baptism is a separation of people. You either align yourself with Jesus or you don't align yourself with Jesus. The people hearing this and everyone who has read this section has been faced with this. How will you respond to these claims? What will you do with Jesus? Because here's the truth. When you are confronted with the claims of who Jesus is, when you are confronted with these claims, you're going to have to make a decision. 
It's, bigger, it's a bigger decision than any decision you have ever made in your life. It has a greater impact on where you live and what you do for a living, who you marry. It has a greater impact on you and your life than the number one decision that happens on Sunday mornings in this room, and that's where your family will go eat after church. And that decision is what you will do with Jesus, how you will respond to the claims of Jesus. Because the Bible is clear, Jesus is not an add-on. Jesus is not something you keep in your pocket. He's not someone you put on your shelf. He's not someone just merely to be considered. He's much more than a great teacher. He's more than just a loving person who, who, who came to encourage us. He's the God of the universe. He is the great I am. He is God in the flesh, and he is to be worshipped. Jesus is the entire point of life. Jesus is everything. Really quickly, look up at the screen. Uh, this is a passage that I think really summarizes who Jesus is. And look at how Paul describes Jesus in Colossians. And, and as you're reading this, as I'm reading this, think to yourself for a second, who else can these words be said about? Who else do these words describe other than Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul describes Jesus in some of the most amazing ways you've ever heard. To Paul, Jesus is everything in life. He is Paul's all. And when we think about Jesus... I think often it's tempting for us to just think, oh, well, he just came to bring peace and love and happiness. But Jesus brings so much more than that. Jesus brings division. Jesus brings a cost. There's always a cost associated with following Jesus. And for some in this room, it may have cost you relationships. Uneasy moments. Feelings of discomfort. Right? We've experienced that with our neighbors. When, when, when you try to talk to them about Jesus, it can be uncomfortable. Some, it may have cost you maybe a promotion, a job. Maybe the cost of Jesus is less about persecution, more about giving something up for Jesus. Maybe God is calling you uh, to give up what you have here at Blue Valley and, and join our next church or campus plan. Maybe God is calling you to just move across the hall to a different Sunday school. Maybe God is calling you to give up where you live in your neighborhood so that you can reach a new group of people for the gospel. Maybe it hasn't cost you anything yet, but at some point you'll be faced with a choice between Jesus and something else. Take a look at verses 18 through 20 in Luke chapter 3. With so many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people, but Herod the Tetrarch who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, 
that he locked up John in prison. So John continues to preach the good news. He continued to count the cost. And look at where he got him. He ended up in prison. And later we learn in the Gospels that, that John was beheaded because of his ministry. And I'd wager that if you were to go and tell John at the beginning of his life, hey, if you keep going down this road, this is where you're going to end up, in jail and beheaded. He would continue to do what he was doing every single time. Jesus always comes with a cost. And what I'm asking you today, church, is to value and treasure Jesus so much that when you count the cost, what you give up looks like rubbish, looks like garbage. Pointing to Jesus comes with a cost, but it also comes with a confirmation. That's point number two. Pointing to Jesus comes with a confirmation. Take a look at verses 21 through 22 in Luke chapter 3. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice from heaven, a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. I think sometimes we read this passage and we just kind of gloss over and like, yeah, that's kind of cool. It's like, pause. This is a top five moment in the history of the universe. Can you imagine what it would have been like to witness this? Good grief, this is amazing. But it's so much more than that, right? When, when we see this, right, we, we see the confirmation of Jesus' identity. We'll get into this in just a minute. But before we do, we need to take one more quick detour before we continue our path. Why did Jesus need to get baptized? If John is baptizing for repentance, and if Jesus is sinless, both of those things are true, then why did Jesus need to be baptized? What is the point of it? Well, Luke doesn't really go into as much detail uh, as Matthew does. So uh, if you feel so inclined, you can flip over to Matthew chapter 3, or the words will be behind me on the screen. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now. For thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. So John is baptizing. Jesus comes up to him and says, hey, I need you to baptize me. And John's like, whoa, hold on a second. Shouldn't you be the one that's baptizing me? What's going on here? And Jesus says, well, it's to fulfill all righteousness. And John's like, okay. Uh, what does that mean? What does it mean to fulfill all righteousness? And, and I realize that this may be difficult to understand, but I want to comfort you uh, in saying I've been seminary trained. I've read commentaries on this. I've listened to sermons, and I've read articles on what it means uh, to fulfill all righteousness, and I think I can boil it down for you. Um, and I'm going to say this slowly so that you can write it down. I don't know. And no one really knows, right? No one really knows what it means to fulfill all righteousness, but Jesus says, and John's kind of like, okay. But what we do know is that Jesus getting baptized is a way for him to identify with us, to begin his earthly ministry, and to affirm John's ministry. So now you can turn back to uh, Luke chapter 3 for the last time. We'll, we'll stay there for the rest of the sermon. Jesus is baptized. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus, and a voice from heaven affirms Jesus' identity. The entirety of the Trinity is present in this moment. It must have been so amazing to witness 
But this is not a private moment that only Jesus gets to see. John gets to watch it. And Matthew gets to see it. Imagine for a second how John must have felt in that moment. Right? All the work that he put in, the pushback that he got, all the times that, that, that people said, dude, you're nuts. What are you doing out here? You're crazy. Finally, he gets to see that it was not in vain, that it was worth it, that everything he had been preaching was confirmed. Everything was worth it because of this. And here's the beautiful truth for us today is we have this confirmation We know who Jesus is. We know that our labor and our life and everything we endure for the sake of Jesus is totally worth it. Because one day we will see him face to face and hope that we can hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Jesus is who we should be treasuring above all else. We should be clinging to these truths and doing everything we can to point others to Jesus because we have this confirmation of who Jesus is and we know the mission that he has sent us on. Pointing to Jesus, following Jesus, comes with a cost and it comes with a confirmation. Your life, your entire existence is all because of Jesus. When you have Jesus, you have everything. If you go through life and if you check all these boxes, right, I did the best for my kids and they got good grades and they did the sports. Those are all fine, right? I gave to charity. If you check all the boxes in life, but you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. We were created to make Jesus known and I want to encourage you to really reflect on who Jesus is and what he has done for us and to make every effort to point to Jesus in your life. It does come with a cost. It is a costly thing. Even if it doesn't cost you something, something today, it does come with a cost, but it also comes with a beautiful confirmation. And church, I, I stand before you today as living, breathing testimony that Jesus is the whole reason that I exist. He's the only reason I am standing before you today. I regularly reflect on that truth and I worship Jesus because of it, because I look at the path that he has brought me on in life, where I was 20 years ago, and the way he arranged my steps. I never would have thought I am where I am today, but I owe it all to Jesus. And I don't know if I've read a passage of scripture that resonated better with my life and what the Lord has done with me than Psalm 40. It'll be on the screen. I'm just gonna read a few verses for you. This, this is the testimony that I have for you. This is, this is what Jesus has done for me, and this is why I don't mind the cost. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. The Lord has been good to me. The Lord has been so good to me, and I owe him everything. So church, if Jesus is who he says he is, if the Bible is right about what it says it is, the only answer, the only response is to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. If you've already done that, I want you to regularly reflect on the cost of following Jesus as well as the confirmation of following Jesus. So what are you going to do today 
to make Jesus the point of your life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.